And we're back with another episode of the Anarchist Experience, episode 298, aka Year 6, Week 48, uh, coming at you this week. As always, I am your host, Mr. Rich E. Rich, along with MC and KS. And since this is your regularly scheduled program, the phone numbers for you to dial are 303-335-9527 or 303-835-1301. That's 303-335-9527 or 303-835-1301. Uh, so what is going on with you guys this week? Um, had an interesting conversation with uh, a gentleman who came over for dinner and, and he was saying uh, how Trump was so good at international trade and and another person <laughs> at the dinner table me uh, oh that was, that was ks um, <laughs> lunged at him and said how dare you <laughs> well no, it wasn't not, quite not exactly. get out of my house you heathen <laughs> so so was uh trump good on international trade <laughs> how did you explain you explain things brilliantly and that's what i like about it like you're you're so uh accurate and um uh, knowledgeable about uh like the the bigger points of of trump's administration <laughs> <laughs> well i was actually not entirely i mean uh, keeping in mind this this elderly gentleman just turned 91 but i understand your point that did he have the red no hat excuse. on too then <laughs> well, yep. Yeah, I mean, he he has a Trump bumper sticker on, and he's always been so gung ho. But um, it, I think that MC's point about it is that it doesn't matter what I said back to him. He will only it it won't penetrate his bubble. He's got a bubble of impression about Trump that is impenetrable. And as do most Trump followers. Yeah, but I mean, I think that's probably across the board as. MC would say about every political guru, and I, uh, and once you're in your bubble, you, you don't even hear the, the 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 relevant information about it. But I made the point that the uh, Trump was not a pro free trade guy. I uh, that he put up massive trade barriers that are still in place against all comers against uh, all of America's allies, Canada, uh, Japan, South Korea, not just China, uh, Europe, uh, Brazil, all kinds of uh, uh, countries all around the world. Well, but and, he did that to protect are, free trade and to protect America. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He, he said, well, but wasn't it always for a trade-off? <laughs> well, uh, retaliation always taxes our own citizens in hope that, that, that the other... Uh, uh, parties affected abroad are going to change their behavior. But I mean, that you know, a tariff is a tax. And then I constantly hear these, these Trump people say that he lowered taxes. He didn't lower taxes. He just sh shifted one kind of tax to raise other taxes. Um, yes, there was a tax cut on, on income or certain kinds of deductions, but they were more than offset by his, um, uh, big increases in government spending, the massive increases of debt, and the massive tariff increases. Uh, and they said, well, didn't he reduce uh, regulatory restraints on certain areas? Well, um, oh, oh, and I, I also mentioned how he uh, uh, put a dead stop to the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which is not a perfect free trade zone, but it was in the direction of more free trade. 
and I and put, he put a complete stop to that so that uh, I, then China took the lead in, in establishing this new version of a Trans-Pacific Partnership. Are you just not looking at the long-term uh, benefits of this retali- retaliatory policies, right? Like you, re- you retaliate against China and Canada or whomever, uh, and, you know, as you put it, KS, tax your own people in the short term because knowing that it will lead to a behavior change in their policies in the future, we get the long-term benefits of better, uh, of more fair free trade with those trading partners. But you have to go through this burdensome period first (laughs) to make that, to make that change in behavior. Yeah, I know that's, that's very much the, the rationale that's it's provided 4D for chess. raising the taxes for the the long term view, and and I liken it to the Holly Smoot tariff of nineteen twenty nine, where the long term view was to open up trade by increasing tariffs and all, um, and the consequence in the long run was the great was the Great Depression. It was one of the the big factors in that shut down the international trading system uh, in the nineteen thirties and brought on the Great Depression, among other. Uh, very very significant things, but um, I just don't buy this idea of you hit person A in order to get person B to change their behavior. <laughs> it, it's a uh, uh, but if people accept that logic, well, because um, it's a sacrifice. We we make the sacrifice as a country, as a community, to pay a little bit more now so that we can save a lot more later. Well, you, you 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 punish the automobile industry now so that you can rescue the cotton farmers with uh, lower um, tariffs against their products later on. You're just playing off one sector of the economy against another sector of the economy, and you do it in a way that favors the. I mean, like his his thing was to protect steel. Well, okay, who pays for the steel? For every uh, for every job gained in the steel industry temporarily, um, five jobs are lost in the automobile industry that has to buy steel now from American uh, steel producers at a higher price, and they lose competitive edge against international automakers who can buy their their steel at lower prices from other countries. Many more jobs were lost in the automobile industry, but that was outside of... Um, of uh, Trump's core areas where he was re- trying to reward the steel industry in Pennsylvania for their electoral votes and at the expense then of the automobile industry in in Detroit and uh, Michigan, which again turned against him this year. <laughs> well, isn't I that mean, just it, politics in general then? Because I'm sh- yeah, sh- you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so they're, they, you know, they can use all kinds of rationale and the public, you know, they're, they're busy making a living uh selling shoes or making uh you know uh masks or whatever and they don't you don't expect the whole general population to be experts at international trade um and i understand that uh, so that's why you can pull the wool over the eyes of of such broad swaths of the american public and give rationalization to, to any kind of policy and here's here's a guy who was um, he's been in politics all of his life and he's very close to it. And he was said this stuff. And when I came this counter attack on, on Trump's uh, trade position, he says, Oh, I didn't know that. 
well, it's four years into the administration and, and he's, you know, he, he reads the newspapers daily and he's up, up on it as much as anybody. But I think MC's excellent point was that once people are in a bubble, um, they, that's all they're going to hear. They're going to hear well, what they want to hear. They're going to be in a bubble where they hear what they want to hear. And, and I worry about that myself. Am I only hearing what I want to hear? Am I hearing enough dissenting opinions? And I think I, I think I'm surrounded by it. You know, I, I, I'm surrounded by the Fox news, uh, pundits and the, and the, you know, MSNBC and the, <laughs> the left, all the left wing organizations, do you spend a lot of time watching those outlets? Like I don't, is that, is I that don't part of your regimen? I don't watch them, but they always come up. And the reason they always come up is because I'm always listening to things that refute them. So um, so I still hear them. I still hear both sides, but it's usually from a position from inside my bubble responding back to uh, those, those organizations. So I will share this, uh, even though it harkens uh, back more toward the election time, like uh, beginning of November. Um, I don't, I don't watch cable news regularly. I don't even spend a lot of time watching uh, refutations of cable news. Um, when it came time for the election, I picked Fox News. Like that was my source for like who's tracking the election. Uh, why Fox News? I don't know. Why not? Uh, just because that's the one I chose uh, through no bias. Uh, M, who is who would describe to be more liberal, uh, more democratic, having been you know born and raised in Hawaii, uh, you have a tendency to lean in that direction regardless. Um, would not have necessarily turned on Fox News, but because that's what I had on in the background to track the election cycle uh, at, you know, uh, in when the, when the election day first came on, um, she heard that. And so, you know, spent, you know, however many hours just having that on in the background and after the election cycle said like, wow, I think I might switch over to Fox news. And I said, really, why would you do that? <laughs> what would cause you to like pick this, you know, as, <laughs> as a, you know, more liberal leaning individual as your news outlet of choice, uh, you know, particularly because it's not going to, it's not, it's not going to uh, maintain that bubble. It's not going to keep you uh, insulated from opposing viewpoints. Uh, and our answer was because it's less vitriolic, right? <laughs> okay. It's, well, Trump demolished left media. Like ever since Trump, um, the left media has just become trash. Like I don't even know how people watch it at all. It's so horrible. So and maybe subconsciously that's why I picked Fox News because I was in my subconscious. I was like, well, if I watch anything else, I know it's going to be fake news. So I might as well watch real news in Fox, right? Maybe I don't know. I mean, it's still biased. Of Fox course, it is biased. But it's 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 watchable at least. Okay. Sometimes, sometimes. But left media is just it's off off the chart, just like uh, idiocy. Like, <laughs> and I have no basis for comparison because I don't watch left media all that much either. Uh, but apparently, M did, and which is why she was able to say like, "Wow, it's it's you know it's much more news oriented and less vitriolic towards 
uh, the current president. So take that for what you will, as far as like, you know, people being insulated in their own bubble and maybe breaking free from it, but I get it right. You know, one, one of the reasons, uh, why I'm in the city and community that I am now is because it's a bubble, right? I don't want to deal with, uh, statist individuals any more than i have to so i you know i hang out with libertarian friends all the time exactly that's that's all of life you 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 gravitate to uh comfortable zones and i think it's perfectly logical and and reasonable to um to want to be surrounded with people who you're comfortable with just so long i think what mc is trying to say is as long as we're aware that it's our chosen bubble and that we don't then i mean there is a tendency to think of it as as the whole of life but we're, we're constantly have to be reminding ourselves that this is a selective bubble and you think that's enough because it seems like you know the 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 trump guy could very well know that he's in an insulated bubble right and just like we would choose to stay in our bubble he could just go right back to choosing to stay in his and not expand any any sort of horizon um, intellectually, economically, or otherwise. I, I don't think they they realize that it's a choice, and so it's not a choice. For them, think, but for us, we know. Yeah, for them. Yeah. Okay. Now, <laughs> is, that bec- is that because, you know, liberty-minded individuals, anarchists, are, are more able to see the bubble and to at least acknowledge that it exists? Like, what makes, what makes us so special? That yeah, we're... That's, that's always been my question. Like, why me? Like, why, why is it that I can be presented new information and I can go, oh, okay, that's reasonable. And other people get presented new information and they're like, no evil, it's a, you, it cannot penetrate my skull. Chaos? Uh, well, yeah, I, I mean, I, I have a Facebook account and I just unfriended a person who was on the list for some reason. I don't really know him. He's just one person over the years that I've, added for some reason i don't know um and his his stuff that he was saying was so obnoxious that i just just deleted him i didn't want it there but i always listen i mean every morning uh for a couple hours i listen to npr radio it's i think they 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 are they are um very very biased but they do it in a in a pleasant way whereas (laughs) i can't i can't stand listening to uh, the Fox News channels, because the, the, it, it's so harsh to my ear. I, I have probably just as much agreement with either of them. It's just that I, you know, you, you, you um, but it's outside my bubble. NPR is definitely outside my bubble. And I like the challenge every day when I hear things that they say. And I, and I'm constantly in my mind saying, well, they shouldn't have said it this way, or they should have, uh, or they, you know, I mean, I'm constantly, um, pushing back mentally against these things that I don't understand. I just find it very hard. I used to listen to Rush Limbaugh, actually. Uh, During the early years of the Clinton administration, I found what he said was quite uh, illuminating. And then I just got tired of it. And I can't stand it now, you know, Um, because it's no longer entertaining. It just became annoying. I think that's the important part. It has to be entertaining uh, for, for me to spend any time on it whatsoever. Um, just real quick, you mentioned Rush Limbaugh. I'll just share my first foray into like talk radio. I don't even know how I got into it at all. Um, but as a teenager, 
somehow came mm. across like the G Gordon Liddy show and just yeah, listened yeah. to that as like, you know, as I was going to bed at night uh, because I found it entertaining. Didn't understand what was going on. Couldn't tell you anything that I re- recall from it specifically, but that's what I used to listen to. Well, I found that during the Clinton administration, he was appropriately critiquing uh, an administration. But suddenly when the when the George Bush administration came in, then he was suddenly apologizing for everything. In other words, he became an apologist where he should have remained a critic in the same vein that he had been under the Clinton administration. But he was... I'm- I'm going to call out Alex Jones for doing the same thing during the Trump administration. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What a, what a 180 that was, uh, as soon as Trump took office. Is that so really? Yeah. Yeah. Suddenly everything was, um, justifiable. Absolutely. To, yeah. Huh. In- including like a hostile takeover by the new world order, apparently in some latest, uh, Alex Jones rants. Hmm. Bizarre. Um, but I, I hear, I hear what you're saying where, you know, we, we think we're exposed to that, we're, we're exposed to other things, uh, but we recognize the bubble. And I know like early on, um, I don't know, I don't know if you still do this MC or, or KS on, on Facebook specifically. I don't spend as much time there as I used to, uh, but getting into discussions with, uh, other anarchists, right? The, the anarcho-communist, the anarcho-socialist, the anarcho-syndicalist, right? And going like, well, okay. You're, you're you're trying to convince me that those things are the appropriate form of anarchism. What do you got? And I was never convinced uh, by their arguments. Um, I've read several of, uh, of you know of of their books, right? Um, was it uh, Proudhon, uh, uh, Kropotkin, right? I was like, mm-hmm. okay, you, you you say I should read this. I will give it a go, um, and I read it. And I remained unconvinced that that was, you know, the, the appropriate form of anarchism, the appropriate path to more freedom and more liberty. Uh, but I, I exposed myself to it. Right. Yeah. And so, so what I want to know is why does that click with them, you know, Perdone or whoever? Um, and I think it's because when they were reading it, it's because that's what they wanted to hear and they remain in their bubble, you know, uh, anarcho-communists or whatever they are, and they, they don't want to hear anything else. Sure. Well, it strikes me that stuff is always a end justifies the means uh, rationale. I mean, that's why people justify Trump's tariffs in order to get, oh, well, later we'll have freer freedom by imposing this um, this tyranny right now. And I'm, I'm guessing that this is what the whole communist ideology puts forth is saying we're one day we'll have the freedom we're seeking but we have to have um sacrifice of freedom right now it's never a more freedom now to get more freedom later i mean which is what hayek was constantly saying with the road to serfdom if you tolerate any levels of intervention um by the state you're going to get more of it you're not going to get less later on so we don't need we, we don't have to cover it here but on um free talk live last Sunday, I believe it was the 13th or so I was, I was on that week. Um, and we covered an article from, uh, reason.com and I'll just give you the headline if you want to check it out. But I think this, this might play into the discussion here a little bit. Uh, self victimhood is a personality type researchers find. (laughs) Yeah, I believe that. (laughs) Right. So when we talk about why people resonate 
with uh, with certain authors more so than others. Uh, I think it's because the way they read those authors, it absolves themselves individually of responsibility for their situation. And in doing so, they now have an authority whom they can lean on and point to and say like, no, 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 even this guy, this author of books, this intellectual uh, knows that my situation is not my fault. And that's why they latch onto that. Oh, exactly. Exactly. That's why John Maynard Keynes became such a celebrity. He was the the academic justification for everything the politicians dreamed of. What more do you need? Yeah, that's right. So they didn't have to stand on the campaign trail. So I'm going to spend money that doesn't belong to me and and I'm going to take it from this person. And you say, oh, John Maynard Keynes, this esteemed scholar says this stimulates the economy. It's the multiplier effect. All these academic rationalizations for stuff that would never work on a personal basis with people. Right. And for him, what a boon to his career, right? Because he's the most well-known, most famous economist in history, probably at this point, a guy can't, you know, when it, when it comes down to like, you know, the, the economics argument, it's always, uh, everyone versus Keynes, right? Like he's the authority of which either you're, uh, in alignment with his policies, like, you know, government stimulus, um, or you're, you're fighting against all the poor arguments that he made during his time, uh, that people are still spouting off today. Fair. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so he's not likely to run it, fall against it if it's his own celebrity that's that's being praised for this. You know, people, you know, people like being praised, be like being loved, like being glorified. And they might even look humble about it, but they're never going to diminish it. They're never going to say, oh, that's totally wrong. <laughs> Let me ask you a related question, KS, because it came up again on social media. I didn't have a good answer for it at the time. Um, a friend has a a young child um not qu- not quite you know less than double digits right but starting to um get them into like you know economics learnings of some kind so this doesn't have to be like a a a, a recommendation for that age group um, but the question was like are there any non-keynesian text or you know books that deal with economics on the macro level and yes. i drew okay you want I, I I would recommend uh, Mark Skousen's book, The Making of Modern Economics. It's a, it's a study of economic history, but from a free market perspective. And it's very well written, very in, entertaining. I mean, he even starts off the chapter telling you what kind of classical music would fit uh, the reading of this chapter. <laughs> <laughs> and he tells all kinds of great uh, little side boxes about which uh, economists were were great at palm reading. You know, Keynes was actually one who was quite fascinated with palm reading <laughs> and, uh, or the intellectual, aff- or the, the mer- um, love affairs that they had in their background or um, interesting observations such as Marx and Engels, when they passed away, they were in the top 2% of the wealth of England because Engels was an industrialist and made uh uh, Marx fabulously wealthy uh, with his, of course, with Marx's wife's inheritance as well. Never worked a day in his life except, uh, you know, um, in terms of producing all the things that he said the workers should be producing. 
anyway, there are lots of observations all throughout uh, this book. It's very well written. It's my number one recommendation for that, other than Jonathan Gullible, which would be um, a great way to introduce um, him to Bastiat, to Hayek, to Rothbard, to Friedman, um, and all of those ideas through just a, a fanciful story. Okay. I, I hear what you're saying. I don't know. Maybe I'm not phrasing it properly because I, I get it. Great book. Um, but when I think of the difference between uh, micro and macroeconomics from the scholarly perspective, uh, microeconomics for me, just dumbing it down, is uh, economics on like the individual level, right? How, how, does, how does man act? Uh, mm. And then economics on the macro level is how do groups behave? Right. And it seems to me that all the textbooks on macroeconomics uh, tend to lean towards, well, because groups behave a certain way, we need to have the largest group, the state, the government, uh, giving them the capability to behave in also a way that either enhances or contracts the ability of other groups uh, to carry out their wishes. And I don't know if if the, the books you're recommending takes that aspect of it, or if it's just more of a, a history lesson on various other uh, schools of thought. Is that a fair critique? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I teach macroeconomics and I like uh, the, the, I, I like the battle of these ideas, these major schools of thought. Um, but micro, but I also teach uh, uh, not all the elements of microeconomics, but in my class, I also talk about, well, what, what is the impact of taxi licensing and, and minimum wage laws and rent control laws and so on. Those are government interventions on the personal level as well. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know, to me, they're all one. I, I know that a lot of people are, a lot of libertarians are very much, uh, uh, scorn macroeconomics, saying there is no such thing as macroeconomics. Everything is micro. Well, I understand the point. It's just that. Uh, uh, well, part of that comes from Mises, right? Only, only the individual acts. Only the individual decides. Only the individual, whatever, however that quote goes. You, sure, you get the idea. sure, yeah. But even Mises is always talking about what government policies should be. <laughs> Fair enough. Shall we move on? headlines yeah anybody mm -hmm, sure all right or did you did you have more mc uh no thanks all right uh i've got a bunch today so let's read through it and then you guys can pick which ones you want to get more into uh headline tyranny during its reign is unrecognized by its victims uh headline why biden's plan to help make housing affordable will make it more expensive uh, headline, being an enemy of the state. Uh, headline, treasure hunter stays five years in jail rather than reveal location of gold coins worth millions. <laughs> this is a sad one. Headline, uh, mother finds son dead in the desert two days after cops shot him and left him to die. Uh, headline, how the state spreads mass hysteria. Uh, headline, Tribal groups didn't consent to 5G towers on indigenous land. FCC allows installation anyway. And finally, headline, the end is coming very soon. And few Americans are willing to do anything to stop it. <laughs> you find these great, great headlines. <laughs> are they in the National Enquirer? No. <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, the, the American Institute for Economic Research, the Foundation for Economic Education, LouRockwell.com, uh, Zero Hedge, that might be the, the most off-the-wall one, uh, the Free Thought Project, the Mises Institute, Activist Post, and uh, LouRockwell.com again. These are legitimate news sources, man. Uh, what happens when you... They all sound great. They all sound great. But one, one that really caught my eye, I mean, I... I, I uh, I want to hear about that treasure hunter that won't reveal his uh, okay the size of his sword. Of his, that's of that's his the one treasure. from Zero Head. So that's probably the most bizarre one, which is probably why I got the laugh react out of you. Uh, treasure hunter <laughs> stays five years in jail rather than reveal location of gold coins worth millions. In a bizarre legal saga, which sounds something out of a Hollywood movie script, a former deep sea treasure hunter has remained in an Ohio jail for a fifth year. For contempt of court, after refusing to tell the court where a hall of previously sunken and recovered treasure is located that's said to be worth millions of dollars. Scientist and deep sea explorer Tommy Thompson is keeping mum as to the precise whereabouts of 500 gold coins that in 1857 went down with a ship called the SS Central America off the coast of South Carolina. The coins that the court is inquiring about are believed to be worth at least up to $4 million, uh, part of a much larger haul from what once was dubbed the world's richest shipwreck. Thompson is still at the center of a controversy which has raged for decades. Uh, prior reports have estimated that additional gold could have been hidden away in his possession to be worth much more. Here is how it all began. <laughs> the steamships sinking off the Carolinas in a hurricane with 105 mile per hour winds stands as this country's worst passenger ship peacetime disaster. Of the 578 aboard, 425 perished. It also has been called the world's richest shipwreck because it carried three tons of gold commercially shipped from the California gold rush and perhaps an equal amount being carried by the passengers. There were rumors of another 15 tons of gold in a secret army shipment. A team of scientists and engineers with specially designed equipment began after the shipwreck site was, was located in the late 1980s to work on recovering the ship's treasures, a nearly impossible feat. The, uh, they were the engineers, technicians, and owners of a high-end sonar, sonar equipment who were promised a small share of the wreck's bounty in return for their work which found the Central America in 1988, some 160 miles off the South Carolina coast, 7,200 feet down on the ocean floor. It took nearly 30 years of litigation and reams of legal documents before a court settlement got them at least a portion of what they were owed. In total, well over 50 to $60 million worth of gold was brought up, according to previous reports and statements, over 10,600 gold coins, 577 gold ingots, and 14,000 silver coins, over 100 pounds of gold dust and nuggets were recovered, according to Bob Evans, chief scientist in both expeditions. But Thompson, one of the key team leads on the efforts that recovered the gold, has allegedly held on to some of it all these years, even though he was already paid by investors for his work recovering it. Thompson's legal wars, woes were compounded, and then he flat refused to reveal where the gold that allegedly remained in his possession was located before going on the run. 
Thompson took the money, but never returned the gold, leading the investors to sue him. After failing to appear in court in 2012 to disclose the coin's whereabouts, Thompson lived in Florida in hiding for three years before U.S. Marshals tracked him to Boca Raton and arrested him. Uh, Thompson pled guilty for his failure to appear and was sentenced to two years in prison and a $250,000 fine, but he had to answer questions in closed-door sessions about the coins, which the government estimated to be worth two to four million dollars. Uh, below via AP file, this 1989, oh, I think that's his photograph. Thompson's defense has been that he doesn't actually know where it is, your honor. I don't know if we've gone over this road before or not, but I don't know the whereabouts of the gold, Thompson said during a 2017 hearing. I feel like I don't have the keys to my freedom. But in 2018, he admitted that he doesn't know where precisely they are because I put them in an offshore trust. The trustee can put them anywhere he wants, as he told the judge. The judge ordered him back to prison until his memory improved, as the Seattle Times later wrote. But investors who feel cheated out of the remaining haul from his historic find believe he's waiting out the legal clock and will try and cash in the moment he gets released from his confinement. Uh, end of the article. So, thief rightfully held in prison? or man wrongfully jailed for getting on the wrong side of the judge. Your thoughts? It sounds to me like he broke a contract with the, the original people who engaged him to, to find this gold. And it sounds like he, uh, yeah, actually I, I started off from the headline thinking that he was just found this stuff and the government wanted it, but it sounds different. It sounds like people who found it just engaged him to recover it and that he pocketed it a lot of it and, and is hiding it. Yeah, uh, I'd say sounds like he's justifiably put in jail. So if you were the arbitrator of this uh, case, how long would he stay in jail or how, how would you how would you uh, bring about justice knowing that he knows where the whereabouts are and you know doesn't have well, it to sounds tell like if once he gets out, um, he's always going to have to owe it if he, if he, you know, if he goes to the the source and finds it again, then he. It sounds like he still, um, uh, still owes it, right? Sure, but if yeah. it's if it's if it like it says it's in a, a trust, um, where's the quote? I put them in an offshore trust. The trustee can put them anywhere he wants. Well, can so, he identify who that trustee is? I mean, presumably the trustee is in communication with him ah, presumably we'll, so that when he gets out, he's going to be able to recover it. Right. So, yeah. But the, I guess from my perspective, the smart thing to do if he gets out is to not recover all of it at once. Right. Cause mm. you know, the eyes are going to be on you, mm. but you can, you know, you can skip town. You can make an easy living. You can, you can take payments off of that trust that don't alert to where the, you know, where the, where the entire contents of the gold is. Um, and then just slowly live out a modest upper middle class existence. Well, I think probably the best thing is just to, for the the plaintiffs to hire some a couple really good detectives to follow him all around after he was released. <laughs> you know, to see where he, where he goes. If he ever wants to get his hands on it, he's going to have to lead the detectives, uh, private investigator, uh, to it, and then he's caught red handed. 
Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. He doesn't have to, he doesn't have to go uh, reacquire it. The, the trustee can be selling it off and just, you know, send him cash payments, right? Hey, there's now, there's now money in your account. Here's, here's $5,000 for the month. Right. Yeah. But I think good investigation would find out who this trustee was and uh, the trustee is, I would think could be legally bound to, uh, to reveal it to the rightful owners. Maybe you need to put the trustee into uh, uh, contempt of court. Sure. But if, okay. So now, now we get into international law then, because if it's an offshore trust, who's got jurisdiction, how do you bring that trustee to justice? Uh, you know, in, in, in American jurisdiction, if they have, you know, if well, they're in a different hunters. country altogether. Can, can't you have a, like a, a uh, hire a, a bounty hunter to go abroad and, and, uh, enforce your actions against them? You know, I want to say yes, but I, I, I also remember, you know, the episode of Dog the Bounty Hunter where he went to Mexico, uh, to retrieve a, a fleeing convict, um, and, but ran afoul of Mexican law because, hey, you're a bounty hunter. You're not allowed to do that. Right. There, there, there are certain rules of extradition that you must follow. Um, and Dog the Bounty Hunter was, uh, afoul of Mexican law and, you know, should have been required to go back to Mexico to face Mexican justice there for that transgression. So I don't know if you can just say, Hey, send off a bounty hunter to, to bring this guy here. And then you find a bounty hunter that doesn't mind taking those risks for a, a share of the possible gains. Yeah, in other words, uh, yeah, uh, I think uh, like, for example, uh, Ross Perot hired his own team uh, to rescue his own employees after the takeover in Iran by the Ayatollah Khomeini. Uh, his his team was in trouble and incarcerated, and Ross Perot hired his own people to go and rescue them. They were very good at it. They were very successful, thank goodness, because presumably the Iranian government had every right to hold them um, or had every authority to hold them and imprison them all if they had gotten caught. So sure. you just hire people and give them a huge chunk of the of the change uh, as their reward. And people who are willing to take the risk. Well, so the bounty hunter would be like, okay, you've got, you know, there's this three to four, maybe $5 million worth of gold. Uh, you get a, a stake of that if you can recover it from this dude who stole it and his trustee. Wherever yeah, in the world so. that might be, um, that's the that's the bounty. That's the way that works in Hollywood in the movies. <laughs> I'm not saying that's not how it shouldn't work. I'm just yeah. <laughs> MC, your thoughts on on recovering stolen gold? Uh, I don't have much thoughts. You, you guys hash that one out. No. <laughs> All right, moving on then. Okay, next he headline. Yeah, <laughs> which one did you want? The woman's son out in the desert. Two days. Oh, that one's sad. How come okay. you, you really right. sick? It it was. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it, it, mother, go ahead. The, the The title reminded me of a, another incident. It, it made the news recently. Uh, this guy was in a car accident, and the cops show up and they go, "Oh, okay." They did the report, and then they left him there, out in the cold. And and he was like, "I need a ride. Like I'm injured. I could die out here." And they left him. <laughs> Sons of bitches. Well, when you call 911, you got to make sure you say ambulance instead of police or whatever. All right. Headline, mother finds son dead in the desert two days after cops shot him and left him to die. Uh, California. According to his mother, who found him two days later, Rico Robles uh, spent his last moments alone in the desert in agonizing pain 
after cops opened fire on him as he fled. Uh, Robles' mother, Laura Scott, has since filed a wrongful death lawsuit claiming her son did not have to die. According to police, in April of this year, Robles was involved in a police chase in a stolen pickup truck and a travel trailer. When the chase came to the end in a rural canyon east of Temecula, Robles and another man got out and ran. Body cam footage would later be released showing that the truck and trailer were stuck in the sand and unable to pose a danger to the officers. When a female deputy identified only as Zaborowski got out of her patrol car and yelled, Driver, show me your hands. Turn off the vehicle and show me your hands. Uh, Robles and his passenger did not immediately obey and instead tried to get themselves unstuck. After realizing they couldn't drive away, they exited the truck with Zaborowski firing two rounds and her partner, Deputy Hansen, firing a single shot. Both men were unarmed and posed no threat to the officers. After the sheriff's deputies both fired their weapons, Robles and another man disappeared into the brush. Police claimed to have subsequently launched a manhunt using police dogs, a helicopter, drones, and deputies on foot for the next 36 <laughs> hours before giving up and calling it off. After not hearing from Robles, Scott and her daughter went to the area where the shooting occurred. Scott says she and her daughter found Robles' body just a couple hundred yards from where he fled the officers. Within about 30 to 45 minutes of arriving to that location, plaintiff and her daughter found Robles laying on his right side, deceased from gunshot wounds, approximately 200 yards down the road and slightly to the right of the location of the shooting. States the lawsuit filed December 3rd on behalf of Scott in the U.S. District Court in Riverside. Adding to the suspicious nature of the incident is the fact that according to the press enterprise, Sergeant Albert Martinez, a department spokesman, said Friday that the man with Robles on April 1st has been identified, but was not arrested and is not a suspect. Uh, we did identify a passenger which was interviewed and we documented his statement, Martinez uh, said in an email Friday. Scott's attorney, Jeremy Jass, said Robles was unarmed and was not trying to ram the deputy's patrol vehicle with the toy box style travel trailer. The vehicle just rolled backwards briefly after becoming dislodged from the dirt before Robles could stop. This is clear in the video as the brake lights are seen lighting up just as the officer opens fire. Uh, Robles was never given a chance to comply with all the orders. To me, it doesn't seem like there was an imminent threat to life that would justify the use of deadly force, Jess said. You can't just shoot someone and leave them out in the desert for two days. They should have been able to locate Mr. Robles and should have probably been providing medical aid to him. Uh, Robles, according to the lawsuit, was unarmed and suffered unreasonable, unnecessary, and excessive force. The defendant's brutal treatment of Robles caused him to fear for his life and caused plaintiff serious physical injury, lack of medical care, and to suffer his last moments alone in the desert in agonizing pain, the lawsuit said. Since the shooting, both Hansen and Zabrowski were placed on administrative, on paid administrative leave. An internal investigation is still underway. As to why they claimed to have searched for 36 hours and failed to find Robles, the Sheriff's Department has declined to comment. Uh, end of the article. So your thoughts, another one. Uh, criminal on the run, deserving of this punishment, would be alive if he just stopped and complied with the officers when they tried to pull him over initially? Go ahead. That's all you can. <laughs> you're not interested in this one actually again the the headlines are, give such a different impression than than the full story that's what makes um, it juicy yeah i know the headlines give you this feeling of of, of terrible abuse and but uh, you know i i think it seems to be clear from the 
argument that he was uh, a, um, a a criminal on the run, and that uh, frankly, uh, I mean, it, and it's true. Probably also seems that the police department covered up, uh, uh, but it, uh, and and maybe overreacted. But I don't have any great sympathy for the guy. So I'll just tie this. I in mean, there to- are so many cases where where there. Are, you know, you, the heart can go out to somebody who is truly wronged, and I don't feel it in this guy's case. <laughs> so I don't have the article pulled up because I just I read through it. There was another one that came up from in my news feed this week, um, and it was a cop on cop crime, right? Like uh, a cop, a a just retired cop, like he he retired the day before uh, to open up his own business. And then the very next day after that, found himself being pulled over at some sort of what he considered to be uh, unlawful traffic stop, right? And then found himself subsequently surrounded by like eight cop cars, uh, upon which he himself, uh, a just retired former officer of the law, said, nope, fuck this, and bolted, got out of there. And in this particular instance, he like, he, he, I don't know if he fled in the vehicle and then got out on foot, but at some point he was running through a field, uh, an open field on foot, uh, and was run over by the officer in pursuit. And, you know, the, the, you know, similar situation, right? Uh, whether the car was, you know, he didn't have a stolen car, but he was pulled over, could have just sat in his vehicle, complied with the officers, you know. Yes, sir. No, sir. Did all the stuff that you're supposed to do when you get pulled over and would not have been injured. Like he, you know, suffered a broken leg, broken pelvis, you know, hip damage or whatever, um, survived it. Um, but excessive on the part of the officer that ran him over or necessary because you chose to run. Right. I don't, I'm not, I don't, I know I sound like a a cop sympathizer and I don't want to sound like that. Um, but is that, is is are we get to the point of a society where this is acceptable uh, behavior for the officers when in pursuit of a criminal? That no, you just you 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 choose to not comply, um, and that you know death could be the result, and that's that's just yeah. now the society we live in. Well, if you choose not to comply and you have a gun, then at least you can shoot back. Yes, and <laughs> I I much prefer that, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I, you know, I'm, I, I cheer for those criminals when they get pulled over and they just open fire. Like, good. Someone's got to go home to their family tonight. It might as well be you. Cause you know, the cops thinking the same thing and he'll justify it and get away with it. Which, uh, gives credence to the old saying that the ultimate threat behind every law is the death penalty <laughs> because you know, the, the authority won't, won't, uh, allow a challenge to the authority. They will escalate. Every crime is an escalating crime. You'll get uh, greater and greater um, power used against you until you obey. Right. So this dude dying in the desert, I know you said that you feel no sympathy, uh, but should should a stolen vehicle and evading arrest, is that is that death penalty worthy? Is that justice? Or was it overkill? And if well, it was I, overkill, is, the, is his mother, you know, do any justice from the, the police through this lawsuit? Well, I, I I think you have to make a distinction between uh, victimless crimes and and crimes. A crime is is uh, of theft and violence against somebody, 
which this was uh yeah um versus the guy who his taillight was out and so the police come over and and uh shoot him <laughs> you know uh you you've heard of those cases too you know i have in, in case uh and i don't consider those i consider those victimless crimes and clearly uh abusive there shouldn't be the the kind of uh uh exercise of of deathly violence um lethal violence against somebody who's not doing anything uh criminal to other people i mean uh, uh initiation of violence against other people but where they do um i th i think that a much higher level of of violence and response can be used to to stop them so if, again, if, if it was your case. if it was your car that was stolen let's say you know with the the, you know, the truck and the trailer um in order to retrieve that by any means necessary if you had to kill this dude to get your property back justified it's not just that one person you're you're considering what is a deterrent against other people doing it against everybody in society sure. if there was if there is no serious threat uh to people for stealing um then it seems to me that there are thieves who would uh, push that to limit and take everything you've got so what are yeah. you gonna do about it you well I, th I think we see that Complain. with the, the riots and the protesting that's going on in the country right now as well yeah yeah but that's why we you know we, we have to take these cases you know individual by individual if we're going to go on the micro level yeah see the call back there and say like what rights do you have as the property owner to reacquire your property um because even if, you know, even if I'm going to be, you know, anti-police in general, um, I am also pro-agency for things like this, right? Like if I, if I, if I, the property owner have the right to retrieve my truck and my trailer, um, I can, I can give agency to anyone I choose, uh, to, to retrieve that truck and trailer on my behalf. Right. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so if, if I, if I am within my natural right, uh, to use deadly force to reacquire my truck and trailer, um, then the, then agents working on my behalf also have that right to use deadly force uh, in retrieval of my property. And so, if if that's if that's the deterrent, fine, right? You know, you steal stuff, death penalty. We know we know what the rules are. Um, but in this case, right, the the truck and the trailer were could have been retrieved without firing a shot because they were on foot, running away at that point. Mm -hmm. So I think your agency to retrieve property at that point is also null and void uh, because you did it right. You 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 chased them down. You threatened them. They took off running. Boom! You are you are now in possession of the truck and trailer. Uh, no further action is required of you in agency to retrieve that uh, punitive damages. Right? Sure, we can talk about that, um, but you don't you don't get any punitive. You don't get any uh, restitutive justice. Uh, by killing the dude that that stole your stuff, right? What you have there is vengeance, uh, if anything at all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like the idea that of the restitution, where that can be part of the formula for correcting the situation. You know, well, one on one, right? If we're not talking about, you know, if we're not talking about the current world where the where the police have absolute authority, then yes, right? You know, there there was more than just the property that was taken. There was you know, the time, the, the, the damage, uh, the grief, the aggravation, uh, of, of going through it, right. Um, opportunity cost of what you could have been doing with that time with your own property. 
but if you kill that guy, you get none of that. Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, you know, it's, it would be bad practice regardless if you wanted total justice. Um, but the cops, you know, through, you know, because they could out of laziness, right. Decided not to pursue the suspects on foot and instead decided to fire, um, and then cover it up basically after it. Right. Like, do, yeah, do we, those are, are quite egregious, um, uh, errors at the, of the police and ought to be penalized as well. I don't know what the penalty would be. Maybe certainly firing, possibly also um, prison time for them for for lying. Sure. In reports. And if we're if we're going to do uh, restitutive justice, right? This is this is the you know the the victim in this case is the mother, right? Mm. Who although her child acted criminally, uh, you know was was killed without you know without bringing harm to anybody at that point. Right, like the the property was restored, um, at least to the agents of the owner. If you if, if, if we want to structure that this conversation that way, um, could he have been brought to justice peacefully? Maybe, but they ran, so you know, mission partially accomplished. Um, but they shot instead, and now she she loses out. Right, she who had nothing to do with this, um, any more so than just a bad parent, uh, is now without a child. Um, who was left to die and then lied to about it uh, when it comes to the police report. So would you say that does she have a claim as a victim in this matter? Yeah. Yeah. Possibly. So yeah. Seems reasonable. I mean, because the, you can't just say, well, society is the victim because, you know, um, but in a sense you can, well, I don't know. Maybe it's. Well, no, like she's the victim. Her son, her son was taken. And, you know, d- despite him being acting criminally, right, it, it would seem that the punishment didn't fit that particular crime, in my opinion. Um, but also that they lied about the events after the fact, right? Like, does, oh, we did does, a 36 hour manhunt, couldn't find him, but he was, you know, 100 yards away. Is it a proper connection to say she is a victim because she's related to him? Maybe now I would think that in a court they would say if if she was dependent on him for her livelihood in some way or another, then then you could say there's a a, a loss. But if um, I'm not sure that just being uh, related it makes her necessarily a victim of the action. Okay, I think he's the victim. But I mean, yeah, it's it's tough to to sort out. You know, maybe. Well, that's mm-hmm. always going to be tough to sort out in cases yeah. of murder, right? Yeah. Because yeah. the the victim is dead. Yeah. How do you bring about restitutive justice? Uh, you know who who has a, who has a claim to that if not the guy who's already dead, right? And if the if the only thing you can say that well, it, someone has to have been economically dependent on them to have a claim to justice, right? Then mm. you basically like legalize the murder of anyone who's poor and homeless. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think I want to go down that road either. Yeah. Yeah. So being, being a close family member seems to be the closest thing that we would have to someone who would be able to levy a claim on behalf of the, uh, on behalf of the victim in cases of murder. Yeah. Maybe it would take much more knowledge about the situation than we have from the news report to know what 
kind of um, uh, restitution should be taken. I mean, maybe he's got kids. Maybe he's got a wife. Yeah. Maybe he's got. Uh, uh, maybe he uh, was just. Uh, you know, maybe. I mean, we don't know. Maybe she's complaining about this because she's hoping for an insurance settlement or or not not an sure. insurance settlement, but maybe some kind of lawsuit. Maybe she could care less about her son. I mean. You know, we we just yeah. don't know enough about it. I, I I get what you're saying in this particular case, but I I wouldn't want to lay that down as the rule across the board, because again, you know, if you're if you let's again, let's go back to my example. You kill a homeless guy who has no family, right? Yeah, be- because I see he's what you're the, saying, but yeah, you could also be setting up a a case. I think a legitimate case, maybe for that society does suffer when there's the loss of an in you know of an innocent person by the police because now everybody is more vulnerable by the precedent that's set so in a sense you could say uh society as a whole has been injured and therefore is in some way due restitution and i think probably uh, you know so maybe maybe every homeless person is more vulnerable because their their lives are lives are more threatened I agree. And that's why I wouldn't want to set the precedent that, you know, you have to be economically dependent on the victim in order to claim that, you know, that justice be served for their, their loss. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it just, again, in my opinion, that opens up, you know, um, open season on homeless people and poor people because, Hey, if you don't have anyone economically dependent on you, uh, boom, you die. And since, Hey, no one's dependent on you, it, it just doesn't count. And no one can, no one can bring the aggressor to justice because no one has a rightful claim to that justice except you, the deceased. Uh, that doesn't seem like that seems like a worse place to be than saying like, you know what? Immediate friends and immediate family, uh, will allow it just as, as a rule. Maybe this is, a a good way to, to segue into a case of insurance, uh, companies that um anybody could sign up with uh any homeless person any person of any you know you sign up with a, an insurance company that then has um the cost of, of protecting you of insuring you of taking care of you if there's injury and therefore they are the one who would uh, claim um restitution uh, from an outlaw action whether it's by officials or by independent actors uh, so therefore they could say, well, now you owe, I mean, just simply by signing up, here's a homeless person. He says, okay, well, a dollar a year, I'm, I'm engaging a contract with an insurance company to be my guarantor for protection. Okay. And, uh, in the, which case then the insurance company then takes, uh, the full damage to its activity they have to increase uh, greater security when when there's a, a violent action against one of their members um, in other words there is demonstrable injury to a class of people because they're all members of this and they're they're all um, subscribers to this insurance company okay I I hear what you say and then I envision it going completely the opposite way uh, in the current society that we live in now yeah, right. I think Ho- you're right. Homeless yeah. dude pays a dollar to the insurance company. Insurance company has him killed. Insurance company collects the the premiums from, you know, the whatever. No, oh, well, uh, I don't 
see the uh, it's uh, i mean that's that's a, a complete distortion of what i was talking about by I the know. insurance company but i no i don't see that happening at where's the incentive to i mean where's the incentive you set you set the homeless person up in a situation where uh somehow he dies uh at the hands of the police right then you as the insurance company have the only claim to financial compensation so you sue the cops and you get paid well it sounds like a way <clears throat> to to lose all your customers to another company who says they they don't do it that way i mean you, yeah. you there's there's a contract that come that comes along with this i stuff know and, but you set it, it up as a dollar a year a dollar a year versus versus a wrongful death suit against a police department <laughs> seems like easy money collect that collect that dollar make sure he's killed and then collect the the unlawful death premium on his behalf well every insurance poli policy that i know of um disallows murder of your own uh i mean i, I all, no, all no insurance is, policy is very, right very now allows for that. <laughs> I mean, if the, if you can can if you commit murder to collect on an insurance policy, then you're obviously the criminal, and you don't. You, well, that that's what I'm saying. The insurance the insurance company is not going to kill him directly to collect the policy because they pay it to themselves, right? But if the if by being if by being a customer of the insurance company with no other dependents, right? makes that insurance company the the financial benefactor uh you know the the claimant to any any wrongful death right then i could foresee some foul play to get those payments i i mean there there right. can always be foul play but i don't see that it'd be legal or binding in a contract oh, of course I, it wouldn't be know, legal I mean, or binding in the contract the contract says that if he dies I get, you know, if he dies, if he dies at the hands of the police because he's homeless and has no other financial dependents by being a member of my, uh, by being a customer of my, uh, insurance organization, I have the, I have a financial stake in his, in his claim. Uh, I sue the police department, you know, homeless guy dies. I make money. Homeless guy lives. I collect a dollar a year from him. Well, collected as restitution from a guy that did injury you know that did the injury Are they... yeah that would be the police and... department who kills him yeah but the, the other thing is that you, you would be you're saying that you could convince the police department to kill him or convince him or put him in a situation where that becomes more likely well i mean have you seen bum fights they'll do possible. a lot for a state we don't Okay, next topic. I mean, I'm I don't see where we're going on this. Uh, All right, we'll just wrap it up uh, then. Yeah, uh, that'll do it for us. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. You guys know where to find us: anarchistexperience.com on Telegram, t.me/slash/anarchistexperience, t.me/slash/the/anarchistexperience. And if you'd like to contribute to the show financially, you can do so through Patreon, Patreon.com/slash/the/anarchistexperience. Thank you very much for listening. I'll talk to y'all next week. Peace.